This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Thank you, and welcome to the show. We begin tonight with a visit from The Whistler. Each episode of this radio series began with the sound of footsteps and a person whistling. The Saint radio series with Vincent Price used a similar opening. The haunting signature tune was composed by Wilbur Hatch and featured Dorothy Roberts whistling with an orchestra. A character known only as The Whistler was the host and narrator of the tale, which uh, focused on crime and fate. He often commented directly upon the action, taunting the characters. The stories followed a formula in which a person's criminal acts were typically undone either by an overlooked but important detail or by the criminal's own stupidity. An ironic ending, often grim, was the key feature of each episode. Bill Foreman had the title role of The Whistler for the longest period of time. Others who portrayed The Whistler at various times, Gail Gordon, Joseph Kearns, Marvin Miller, the announcer for The Whistler, and Bickersons, and later the actor who portrayed Michael Anthony on TV's The Millionaire. Writer-producer J. Donald Wilson established the tone of the show during the first two years, and he was followed in 1944 by producer-director George Allen. Tonight's episode is entitled Law of Physics. And now, stay tuned for the mystery program that is unique among all mystery programs. Because even when you know who is guilty, you always receive a startling surprise at the final curtain. In the Signal Oil program, The Whistler. Signal. The famous go-farther gasoline invites you to sit back and enjoy another strange story by The Whistler. I am The Whistler, and I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. And now for the Signal Oil Company, the Whistler's strange story. A law of physics. The narrow, twisting road that hugged the canyon wall was precarious at best. But at the height of a driving rainstorm, it became a treacherous, uncharted course. And Ross Warren's car was literally out of control as he tried to steer it safely down the canyon. 
The headlights were of little help as the rain washed across the windshield in great sheets that obscured his vision. The older man seated next to Ross, his hands braced against the panel, peering tensely through its windshield, was Dexter Brand, important client of the Ross Warren Advertising Agency. Suddenly, in between the waves of rain, Ross could see the road ahead of him quite clearly for just an instant, a split second. The car was headed for the far side of the road, and a sheer drop of several hundred feet. With one tremendous effort, Ross turned sharply, applied the wet brakes, and careened headlong toward the mountain. Come on, Ross! Look out! Look out! Uh, are you all right, Mr. Brand? Yes. Yes, I'm all right. Thank goodness. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I, I don't know what happened to this car. I, I couldn't see. Never seen such a storm. Now, what do we do? I... I don't think we have much choice, Mr. Brand. You know, there aren't many cars on this road, even in good weather. Come on, I guess we'll have to walk. At least as far as the Edgeley place. Of course, that's a good mile down the canyon from here, but they've got a phone. All right, but... Well, I'll be... What is it, Mr. Brand? Another car coming around the curve ahead of us. Hey, you there! Give us a hand, will you? Well, looks like you need it. Anybody hurt? No. No, not hurt. Can you take us back to town? Sure, pile in. I'll get the bags. Need any help with them? No, no. I've got them okay. I'll just put them in the back seat here. I don't know who you are, young man, but you're a friend of mine. My name's Brand, Dexter Brand. I'm glad to know you, Mr. Brand. I'm Bob Turner. Oh, and this is Ross Warren, Mr. Turner. Ah, How do you do? I think if you'll drive ahead for about a quarter of a mile, you'll find a place wide enough to turn around in, Mr. Turner. Okay, thanks. Yeah, but what about your car? We'd better call the garage, hadn't we? <laughs> it's a good idea, but uh, hadn't we better wait till we get to a phone? We don't have to, Mr. Warren. I've got a phone here in the car. You have? Well, I've heard of them, Oh, it's but... a wonderful gadget, believe me. I wouldn't be without one. They've just installed service in this area. Uh, what's the name of your garage in town? Um, Hoffman's. Phone number's uh, Lawton 3264. Well, this store might give us some trouble on the call, but it's worth a try. Only trick is this button. You push it down to talk, release it to listen. Mm -hmm. This is your mobile operator. This is WJ65383. I want Lawton 3264. One moment, please. Mr. Warren, the garage is on the line. Oh, thanks. Hello, this is Ross Warren. Oh, yes, this is Tom, Mr. Warren. What's the trouble? Wrecked my car on Willow Canyon Road, Tom. I'm okay, but the car's in bad shape. How far up the canyon? About, uh, about 15 miles from town, mile or so above the Edgeley place. You better send a tow car and get this wreck off the road before someone piles into it. Right away, Mr. Warren. You'll be riding in with us? No. No, I've got a ride, Tom. Uh, do the best you can, huh? And let me know when you get through looking her over. You bet, Mr. Warren. 
Goodbye, Tom, and thanks. The car phone made a deep impression on Dexter Brand, your biggest client, didn't it, Ross? And you're certain that Bob Turner, owner of the car, made an even deeper one. And his dramatic appearance on the seldom-traveled road from Dexter Brand's cabin into town seems more than a mere coincidence, doesn't it? The next morning, as you reach your office, you find that it is. Warren, where have you been? I'm frantic. No, no, Edna, it couldn't be as bad as all that. Well, couldn't it? Oh, morning, I've been crazy looking for you. <laughs> Look, beautiful, suppose you calm down and calm tell me Calm down? What, what... How can I? He's dead, I tell you. He's dead. All right, Edna, he's dead. Now, who's dead? Mr. Average American. That's who's dead. Wayne Parks? The man we're featuring in this month's ad? Yes, a stroke. And Graphic Magazine is holding their presses and howling for another layout right away because... Well, how can we salute Mr. Average American when he's dead? And what are we going to do? Well, uh, rush them next month's layout, of course. There isn't any, Mr. Warren. That was the last of the series, don't you remember? Next month, it's all different. Oh, that's right. I'd forgotten. <laughs> we are in a hole, aren't we? Oh, Mr. Warren, if I may... Please, uh... you'll have to wait. Mr. Warren is very busy now. An emergency has come up. Well, I know. You left the door open, and I couldn't help overhearing. Uh, Mr. Warren, I'm familiar with your campaign, and I believe there's a simple way to save that ad. Mr. Turner again, huh? You seem to have a knack of turning up at just the right minute. You've got an idea. Yes. Why not change the caption, We Salute, to We Mourn, Mr. Average American? All the rest of it can remain pretty much as it is. Hey. hey maybe you've got something there. Edna, did you hear? Oh, I think that's wonderful. Oh, I'm so relieved. All morning, the magazine calling and me not knowing where you were. I don't know what you came to see me about, Mr. Turner, but the way I feel right now, you can ask anything. Oh, just make it Bob. I'm with Blaine and Blaine, Mr. Warren. The big Hollywood advertising agency? No wonder you had the know-how on that ad. <laughs> okay, Bob, what can I do for you? And you can make it Ross. Okay. Well, let me tell you a story. On my last vacation, someone looted my car, took everything, including my fishing tackle. Mm. So passing through Lake Town here on my way to the lake, I bought some new gear made by a manufacturer here in town. The man you met last night, Mr. Brand. I handle his advertising. I know. Well, his gear's wonderful. But later, when I tried to get more of it in some of the eastern cities, why, nobody had ever heard of Brand fishing equipment. He only sells in the western states. That's what I don't get. How come? Why, if he advertised more... Is that what you're here for? Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to chisel your account. Just the opposite. You see, I'm fed up with my job, and I've got a little money put by, and I thought of starting my own agency, maybe in some place like Lake Town here. Oh? Competition, huh? Not if you don't want it. This is a manufacturing town. I figure there must be lots of local men who could triple their business if they went in for wider advertising. Now, you've got a nice setup here. If I can sell some of them on the idea... Could you and I maybe talk uh, partnership? Partnership? Say on any new accounts I bring in, and any hikes on old ones. You know, Turner, I think maybe I'll give it a try. Swell. On one condition. You either sell Mr. Brand on national advertising, or you find yourself another town. Fair enough. Uh, by the way, Mr. Brand and his daughter are having dinner with me tonight. Why, why don't you join us? Hey, that's great. That'll give you a chance to sound out, Mr. Brand. Uh, but uh, no passes at Kitty Brand... She's beautiful, and she's mine. Engaged, huh? Well, we haven't announced it, so uh, mum's the word, huh? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll be good. Uh, 
You thought you did that rather well, didn't you, Ross? Well, you know that in Dexter Brand, Bob Turner will come up against a stone wall. And you have Bob's word that if he fails, he'll leave town. Yes, Ross, he'll leave, never knowing you lied about being engaged to Kitty. You couldn't know, could you, that by inviting him to dinner with the Brands, you were inviting disaster. <laughs> I'll tell you why I'm being so hard-headed. You see, I hate manufacturing. Got into it in spite of myself. I couldn't get the kind of fishing rod I wanted, so I went ahead and made one. Friends saw it. I had to make another, then another and another. First thing I know, I'm manufacturing all kinds of fishing tackle. That's why I hate it. Doesn't leave me enough time to fish. If I were to expand, it would uh, leave me even less. And I love fishing. <laughs> I don't believe it. I beg your pardon? I said, sir, that I don't think you give a hoot about fishing. Look here, young man. Are you trying to tell me that... I'm afraid I you read the wrong line that time. Yes, Bob. young man. I wish you'd explain that remark. Well, you said yourself, sir, that you made rods for your friends. And why? Because you wanted them to have the best so they could enjoy their fishing as you enjoyed yours. Of course, which proves just... Well, think of the thousands of Isaac Waltons whose vacations will be spoiled for lack of brand equipment. Huh? Why, every time a good one gets away from a faulty hook or snaps oh. an inferior rod, you, Mr. Brand, are directly responsible. <laughs> <laughs> By Joe, that's the best argument I've heard yet. Ross, you ought to take this, uh, uh, this conniver on as a partner. You really think so, sir? He will, sir, if you'll expand your coverage. Oh, so it's a plot. Well, Ross, it looks like I'm stuck with more advertising and you're stuck with a partner. And if I were you, I'd look out. He's likely to take over your whole business. In that case, I'm afraid I'd have to find a way to dissolve the partnership. things have changed since Bob Turner came into your life six months ago in that storm on the Willow Canyon Road. He's become a full-fledged partner in your advertising agency after selling Dexter Brand on the idea of a national campaign. And other accounts have followed Brand's lead until your business has nearly tripled. Bob sold you too, hasn't he, Ross? True, you work harder and longer than you ever have. But you've acquired a great many things you've wanted. A healthy bank account, a big new car with all the extras. Yes, even including a car telephone. Through it all, you've had just one regret, haven't you, Ross? You haven't been able to see Kitty Brand nearly as often as you'd wanted to. But as you walk up the front steps to her home to keep your first date in weeks, you're certain that tonight will make up for all the nights you've been away from. Kitty. Hi. You the official greeter here now? Oh, only when it's the maid's night out or Dad's packing. Come in, Ross. Your father taking a trip? Oh, just up to the lake. He and Bob have a theory about some special tackle or something. You couldn't prove it by me. But anyway, they're going to try it out. Come on in the library. I've mixed some cocktails. Bob's going too, huh? It's funny he didn't mention it. Oh, I think he's just driving Dad up tonight. Probably spend tomorrow fishing. Oh, I see. Here we are. Sit down, Ross. Mm -hmm. Oh, you look wonderful, Kitty. Do you mind if I drink to that? Well, let's make it that we both look wonderful. 
So we can both drink. <laughs> That's fair enough. Yeah. Mm. To us. Because we're beautiful. <laughs> oh, I miss you, Kitty. So much. Well, that's nice, Ross. No, it isn't nice. I don't like missing you. I don't ever want to miss you again. Oh, my. So serious. I am serious, Kitty. I don't think I realized how serious I was until I saw you again a few minutes ago. Oh, Kitty, darling, I love you. Ross, I... Oh, my goodness, just one swallow from a martini. I want you to marry me, Kitty. I... I've wanted you to for a long time. But now I'm in a position Ross, to... Ross, please, don't. Don't say these things. Not now. This is the first time I've been able to say them. You've known all along. You must have... I, I, I thought I knew, Ross, but... Why did you wait so long? I had to, darling. I wanted money. Lots of money. It wouldn't have mattered before, Ross. Don't you see? It would have been all right. But now I... Now it's, it's all different. Why, Kitty... What's so different? I just got more money now. I haven't changed. But I have. I, I didn't want to, Ross. Really, I didn't. But I changed in spite of myself, I guess. I'm in love, Ross. Really in love. For the first time. Kitty. But who? With a man who doesn't even know it. He's never said anything or done anything. Oh, Ross, I don't want to hurt you. But it, it's Bob. Bob. Bob Turner. Why the... I've told you, he's done absolutely nothing about it. I'm sure he hasn't any idea how I feel. But... Well, since I do feel that way, Ross, I... Well, there's, there's not much I can do about it, is there? No. No, Kitty. I guess there isn't. Kitty and Bob. It's quite a shock, isn't it, Ross? Not at all the way you planned. You realize you'll have to do something about Bob because you're determined that no one can have Kitty but you. You're still searching for a solution shortly before midnight as you enter your apartment to find the phone ringing. Hello. Ross, this is Bob. Didn't wake you, did I? No. Just got in. Where are you calling from? I'm up at Mr. Brand's cabin. Going to spend the night here. Do some fishing tomorrow, but I'm driving back to town tomorrow night. Oh, I see. I, uh, I'd like to see you tomorrow night if you can make it, Ross. I, I've got some things to talk over with you. Okay, Bob. But uh, if you're off on a little fishing junket, forget about business. Oh, I, I don't want to see you about business, Ross. It's, well, I just want to talk with you a while. I'd prefer to do it in person. Uh, fine, fine. Suppose we uh, meet at your apartment whenever you say. Oh, good. I'll leave here at 7.30. That should get me back to town about uh, 9. How does that sound? 9 it is. Tomorrow night. I'll see you then. Good night. Goodbye, Bob. Your solution came suddenly, didn't it, Ross? And Bob gave it to himself. A little after eight the next evening, you parked your car in the heavy woods at the foot of a well-known slide area on Willow Canyon Road. In a matter of minutes, you roll several boulders into the middle of the road. And then as you hear a car approaching, you rush back to your own car, completely hidden from sight. You peer through the thick trees, see Bob's car approaching. He suddenly swings to miss the boulders balances precariously on the drop side of the road. And then the car miraculously rights itself, hugs the road again, and moves past the boulders to a safe stop. 
failed, didn't you, Ross? You watch Bob get out of his car, push the boulders to the side of the road, return to his car, and start for town. As you pull your car onto the road and drive slowly down the canyon toward town, you realize you must get rid of Bob Turner. Once he's out of the way, you'll control all the new business he's brought in and have a clear field with Kitty. Then it hits you, an even better plan. Then you're certain you'll not fail again. There's an automatic in your glove compartment and an alibi in your car telephone. You stop the car and place a call to Hoffman's Garage in Lake Town. Hoffman's Garage, Tom speaking. This is Ross Warren, Tom. Afraid I need your tow car again. Uh-oh. Don't tell me you're stranded on Willow Canyon Road again. Well, uh, not this time, Tom. I'm I'm about 20 miles out on the Marilton Road. The uh, car went out of control uh, just by those bluffs. You know the spot? Sure. Now, look, Mr. Warren, we'll be there, but it may take an hour or so. The truck's out now, and there's another call ahead of you. Well, that's okay, Tom. There's no hurry. I'll wait right here in the car for you. It's a break, isn't it, Ross? An hour will give you ample time to get to town, take care of Bob Turner, and drive out to the bluffs on the Merrillton Road. You'll wreck your car there and make certain of a perfect alibi in the bargain. You're punctual. You're a little ahead of time. I just got here. I know. Uh, sit down. Man, I I need a drink. Darn near turned the car over coming down here. Boulders in the road along that slide area. I know that, too. You do? But how? I just... Bob, this personal matter you want to discuss with me, it's Kitty, isn't it? Well, yes, Ross, it is. I, I thought we could talk it out, you and I. You're in love with her. Want to marry her? Well, yes, but... Is she in love with you? I don't know. Uh, look, Ross, this isn't the way I'd planned it. Sit down, won't you, and we'll... But this is the way I planned it. No, I won't sit down. My aim's straighter if I stand. Oh, Ross, are you crazy? Put that gun away. Don't! Okay, Bob. I don't mind putting the gun away. Now... He's dead, isn't he, Ross? As you turn to leave, you pull the drapes aside slightly to look out. And walking toward the apartment just a few houses down, you recognize a familiar figure passing under the streetlight. It's Kitty Brand. You sigh with relief that you saw her before she could see you. Then you turn quickly, race for the back of the apartment, let yourself out the back entrance, and rush out into the night towards your car parked on the side of the street. Once there, you check your time. You have half an hour, Ross. Ample time to drive to the bluffs on the Merrillton Road before the tow car from the Hoffman Garage is due to arrive. And you make it with five minutes to spare. Now, to make this alibi... Hold on! There. That ought to do it.
boss. You're pleased with the way things worked out, aren't you? You bashed in the front of your car right by the bluffs just as you planned. And before the tow car arrived from town, you had time to bury the automatic that killed Bob Turner. You're confident now, aren't you, Ross? Certain that it's just a matter of time until Kitty Brand gets over the shock of Bob's death and agrees to marry you. The next day, you're properly shocked and bereaved as Lieutenant Norris calls for you in his police car. And the two of you discuss the crime as you ride along. You become so engrossed in the discussion, you're unaware that he's driven you far out from town, on the Merrillton Road. Well, naturally, I'm anxious to help all I can, Lieutenant. Bob Turner was, well, like a brother to me. I'm going to take you up on that help angle, Mr. Warren. Tom Hoffman's already pointed out the spot on the Merrillton Road where he picked up you and your car last night. Want you to verify that, if you don't mind? Why, of course. Be glad to. Well, I didn't even notice. We're almost there, aren't we? That's right. Now, you see, Mr. Warren, the two stories are a little confusing. What two stories? Yours and Kitty Brand's. She was out for a walk last night, dropped by Turner's apartment and discovered his body. And she saw your car parked on the side street next to the apartment. But well, she couldn't have. I, I was... I know. Both you and Tom Hoffman say you were right here in a smashed car at the time. But that's true. Hey, that's my car there. Now, we took the liberty of bringing it back out here, Mr. Warren, to prove something to both of us. Come on over here for a minute. I'm afraid I don't understand, Lieutenant. You will. Now, just for the record, will you get in your car and show me how you placed that call to the garage last night? Why, of course. I just picked up the receiver, pushed this button... And the operator answered. Well, well, that's funny. Something's wrong with this phone. No, Warren, there's something wrong with your story. Now, see here. Tom Hoffman picked me up right here at the same time Kitty Brand found Turner dead 20 miles away. In case you don't know it, Lieutenant, there's a law of physics that says nobody can occupy two places at the same time. Now, that's right. And there's a law of electronics that says you couldn't possibly have made the phone call to Hoffman's garage from this spot, Warren. What do you mean, I couldn't? Just that nobody can make or receive calls from here. Because this whole stretch of road is an absolute dead spot for radio. will be your signal for the Signal Oil program, The Whistler, each Sunday night at this same time. Signal dealers are so proud of the good mileage of their famous go-farther gasoline. They have available free a mileage record book in which you can keep track of your own mileage, as well as other car purchases and information. This handy mileage record book is just one of the many thoughtful extras offered free by friendly, independently operated Signal service stations to add more smiles to your miles. <laughs> Featured in tonight's story were Bill Foreman, Les Tremaine, Gene Bates, Bob Bruce, Elizabeth Root, Herb Butterfield, and Charles Seal. The Whistler was produced and directed by George W. Allen, with story by George Asnes, music by Wilbur Hatch, 
and was transmitted to our troops overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service. The Whistler is entirely fictional, and all characters portrayed on the Whistler are also fictional. Any similarity of names or resemblance to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Remember to tune in at the same time next Sunday when the Signal Oil Company will bring you another strange story by The Whistler, entitled The Man in the Trench Coat, in which a top coat belonging to another man leads the wearer to the unmasking of a blackmailer and murder. Marvin Miller speaking for The Signal Oil Company. Stay tuned now for our Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden, which follows immediately over most of these stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for the Jack Benny Show next on Theater of the Mind. Time now to hear from that old skinflint himself, Jack Benny, as he welcomes the man of a thousand voices, Mel Blank. The Lucky Strike Program, starring Jack Benny, with Barry Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennessee, and yours truly, Don Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, let's go out to Jack Benny's home in Beverly Hills, where we find, oh, there's something wrong. There's a crowd gathered on the corner near Jack's house. Stand aside, folks. Here comes the ambulance. Stand back. Let the doctor through. Let the doctor through. Honestly, officer, it wasn't my fault. He jumped right in front of my truck. Jumped in front of your truck? He must be desperate. Oh. Uh, He's coming to officer. I think you can question him now. Mister. Mister. Why did you jump in front of the truck? Today I have to give Monsieur Benny a violin lesson. Yeah, he's all right, officer. The truck missed him completely, and he isn't even scratched. Perhaps I will have better luck next time. All right, break it up, everybody. Break it up. Mr. Benny's house is right up the street. I know, officer. I know. Well, Professor LeBlanc, come right in. Professor, you're five minutes late. Uh, What detained you? There was an accident on the corner. Another one? Oh, it's getting awful out there. You know, on Wilshire Boulevard, you can't step off the curb without getting hit. Well... Wilshire Boulevard. Professor, why are you writing it down? Nothing, nothing. Oh. Come, Mr. Benny. Let us commence with the lesson. All right. Just a minute. I'll get my violin. Hmm. That's funny. My violin isn't here. It's always been here. Yeah, I wonder if... Say, I'll bet... All right, Chester! Yeah, boy! <laughs> Where is my violin? I wish it was on a slow boat to China! <laughs> now stop that. Oh, here it is. Come on, uh, you can give me my lesson in the den, Professor. Oui, monsieur. Say, Professor, I've been thinking. 
You charge me $2 for giving me one lesson a week. How much would you charge to come over here twice a week? $8,000. Oh. Well, here we are. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll just tune up my violin and we can, uh, we can get started. Just, just a second there. Today we will dispense with the exercises and start with the new piece I gave you last week. Oh, yes, yes. I've been working hard on that one. You know. Good, good. Commence. No, no, Monsieur Bernier. You must slide up the string with your little finger. Da, da, da. Now you try it. All right. Too high, huh? Yes, take your finger out of your nose. <laughs> huh? Oh, oh, yes, yes. Now, please, Monsieur Benny, let us go back from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Remember, this is a minuet. Think of crinoline, hoop skirts, powdered wigs. When you were a boy. <laughs> Professor, that remark was entirely uncalled for, and I don't appreciate those personal insults. I am sorry, Monsieur. You can deduct 15 cents from the lesson. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Let us proceed, please. Yes, sir. The same thing over again? Oui. <laughs> We shouldn't tease Mr. Benny about his violin. He plays beautifully. He does? (laughs) Yes. Mr. Benny has the total quality of Isaac Stern, the bowing touch of Fritz Chrysler, and his fingers have the dexterity of a hyphus. Miss Livingston, do you really believe that? No, but Mr. Benny is playing at the opening of a Turkish bath tomorrow, and that's how they're advertising him. (laughs) A Turkish bath? Yes, their slogan is, get rid of your fat while Benny passes the hat. Oh, I see. Rochester, I'm all through with my... Oh, hello, Mary. I've been taking my violin lesson. Uh, where's your teacher? Uh, Professor LeBlanc? He, he's such an emotional fellow. He, he jumped out of the window. <laughs> jumped out of the window? Yeah. I forgot to ask you for my money. <laughs> oh. oh, well, come right in, Professor, and I'll... Uh... Hey, wait a minute, Mary. Isn't that Don Wilson sitting out in the car? Yes, Don drove me over. Well, why doesn't he come in? Well, after the way you argued with him at my Thanksgiving party, he won't talk to you. Won't talk to me? And I don't blame him. You owe him an apology, and I'm going to make him come in. 
John. Oh, John, come on in. Well, okay, but I won't talk to Jack. <laughs> what a stubborn guy. He won't talk to me, I won't talk to him. That's all. <laughs> come on in, John. Mary, you can tell Jack I came in for you, not for him. Jack, John says he came in for me, not for you. Well, you can tell Don that just because I made a mistake last week, he doesn't have to pout over it. Don, Jack says just because he made a mistake last week, you don't have to pout over it. Well, you can tell Mr. Benny that if he knew more about history, he'd know the pilgrims landed on Plymouth Rock, not Cape Cod. <laughs> Mr. Benny, Don says that if you knew more about history, you'd know that the pilgrims landed... Oh, yeah? Well, you can tell Mr. Wilson that if he doesn't shut up, you'll punch him right in the nose. Mr. Wilson, Mr. Betty said that if you don't shut up, I'll punch you. What? Wait a minute, Jack. If you're so mad at him, why don't you punch him in the nose? With fingers that have the dexterity of a high set? Are you crazy? And you can tell Don... You can tell him yourself. Tell Don, tell Jack, tell Jack, tell Don. I feel like a carrier pigeon that was caught in a badminton game. Hmm. Now, Jack, you admitted you were wrong for arguing with Don, and I think you owe him an apology. Well... All right. Don. Doncy boy. I'm sorry. Well? Don, I'm really sorry, and I, I beg your forgiveness. Well, Jack, only a man of your generosity, your sense of fair play is big enough to admit that he's made a mistake. I, I accept your apology. Well, thank you, Don. And now that you're here, did you bring the quartet along with you? Oh, no, Jack, I'm sorry. You see, I was so angry with you, I didn't let the boys prepare a commercial for this week's program. Well, that's all right, Don. Gee, you're so clever. I mean, you can do a commercial all by yourself. But, Jack, just one voice? It wouldn't have any color. One voice? What are you talking Why, you're a man of many voices, many moods. I am? Why, certainly. You could do it, Don. Look at Do it, let's say, uh, the commercial... Well, well, do it first like Charles Boyer. Boyer? Sure. Go ahead, Don. Try it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's it, Come with me to the cow's bar. Your lips look so beautiful holding that lucky strike cigarette. How was uh, how that, Mary? He sounds like Boy and looks like the cow's bar. <laughs> Mary, please. Now, Don, after you give them Boyer, you can switch right into Lionel Barrymore. Lionel Barrymore, why well, can't do that? Sure you can, Don. <laughs> Try it. Okay. Lionel Barrymore. Certainly. Gentlemen of the jury, <laughs> I have come here today to plead my case for this package of lucky strikes. <laughs> and you can see for yourself that they're made of that fine, that light, that naturally mild. Nord again. Nord again. <laughs> Gentlemen of the jury, light up a lucky and see for yourself. Lord again. That's it, that. That's wonderful, Don. That's wonderful. And Don, <coughs> to show you how sorry I am that I argued with you last week, I want you to stay here and have dinner with me tonight. Oh, okay, Jack. What are we going to have? I don't know. Rochester, what are we going to have for dinner? Turkey hash. Turkey has. Thanksgiving is gone, but the memory lingers on. 
<laughs> Never mind that. Rochester takes three steaks out of the freezer. Mary's going to say two. And by the way, Rochester, were there any phone calls while I was taking my, my lesson? No, sir. See, that's funny. She's supposed to let me know if our date is okay for tomorrow. She? Who's she? I'm not telling. But she's really something special. And Mary... When I take her out tomorrow, I'm going to have my car washed and polished and everything. Do you think she'll do it? <laughs> oh, stop. Monsieur Benny, I would like to go. Please pay me for the lesson. Oh, yes. Yes, Professor. I- I'm sorry. I'll go get her. A- oh, that must be the girl now. I mean, the call I'm expecting. Hello. Well, hell, I know you love me, Jackson, but control the lover. Control. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry, Phil. I was expecting a call from a girl. I've got a date. You know? Oh, no. No. No, no, no. Not you, Jackson. Not you. Phil, what's so surprising about my having a date? I can give you plenty of reasons. A, it costs money. B, no gal will ride in that jalopy of yours. C, you can't dance. D, you're too old and, um, and, um... Oh, so you ran out of reason. No, I just don't know the rest of the alphabet. <laughs> that I can believe. And just because I have a date with a girl, Phil, you don't have to make such a big thing out of it. Well, I'm just surprised, Jackson. Why? You never have no dates till spring when your blood starts to circulate. <laughs> Look, Phil, I don't want to tie up the phone. What did you call about? Oh, look, I just wanted to let you know I'll be out of town for a few days. I'm going on a hunting trip up in the High Sierras. Oh, the High Sierras, eh? Are you going to hunt bear? Well, we might have... Wait a minute. Hey, wait a minute, Jackson. What? Uh, ask me that again. I said, are you going to hunt bear? No, I'm going to be dressed to kill. <laughs> oh, Jackson, sometimes I wish I was Alice so I could be married to me. <laughs> Look, uh, golden boy. Look, when are you starting on the hunting trip? Right away, Jackson. The dogs are in the car now. Two retrievers. Oh, retrievers? Yeah, they sure are smart the way they're trained to bring things back. They're my favorite dogs. Retrievers? I thought your favorite dog would be a St. Bernard. What's so wonderful about a St. Bernard, a great big dog like that carrying a lousy half pint? (laughs) Well, look, Phil, go on, have a good time, and call me when you get back. So long. So long. Good health to all from a rectal. All right. Goodbye. Goodbye. going hunting, Dad? Right away. See, I bet he has a good time, too. Mr. Benny, please do not keep me waiting like you always do. Oh, yes. Yes, Professor. Your money. I- I'll get it for you. Say, boss, this letter just came from England, and it looked very important. On the envelope, it says from Princess Elizabeth. Oh, my goodness. Princess Elizabeth. Here, read me letter. I mean, let me read it. I'm... Yeah, I'm so... You read it to me, Rochester, will you? Okay. It says, Dear Mr. Benny... I want to thank you for your kind offer, but regret to inform you that we've already signed up for a diaper service. See, <laughs> hmm. yeah, I cabled them the, my offer the day the little prince was born, you know. Jack, I knew you took in laundry, but when did you start a diaper service? 
when I grew up and found I was stuck with two dozen of them. Uh, rather than waste them, I... Mr. Benny. Oh, all right, Professor. I'll get you yours. Hey, wait a minute, Professor. You have a baby. How would you like... I don't want diapers. I want money. Oh. Well, wait here, Professor. I'll go and get it for you. I better answer the door. But, monsieur, I'll be right back. Here's here for all Notre Dame. Hello, Dennis. Take up the echo, cheering her name. Hello, Dennis. Send a volley. Oh, hello. <laughs> hello, Dennis. How come you still waving that football pennant? Oh, I just got back from the USC Notre Dame game. But, Dennis, that game was yesterday. I know, and after it was over, I went down to congratulate some of the USC players, and before I knew it, it was, I was on a bus headed for the campus with the team. Well, that's silly. Why didn't you get off the bus? Notre Dame couldn't get through their line. How could I? <laughs> Did you enjoy the game, Dennis? Oh, it was wonderful, but I was so confused. What do you mean, confused? Well, I'm Irish, so I felt loyal to Notre Dame, and then again, I live in California, so I felt loyal to USC. Gee, that's right. Well, who'd you cheer for? Dewey, he feels awful. <laughs> what? I'll take it now, Jack. Don and I set the coin, and I lost. Well, that's sporting of you two. Did you have good seats at the game, Dennis? I sat on the 50-yard line. It was awful. Why? I got chalk all over my pants. <laughs> I'll take him now, Mary. Lucky Don won again. Dennis, why in the world would they let you sit on the playing field? Well, years ago, Coach Jeff Cravat and my mother used to go together. Oh, were they sweethearts? No, they both played in the line at USC. <laughs> hmm. Ted. Tell me, Dennis. Oh, you lost this time, huh, Don? Yes, yes. Tell me, Dennis, uh, did your mother really play football? Yeah, she says I was her only fumble. <laughs> I'll take heads again. Tell me, Monsieur Dennis. <laughs> I do not understand these things, but why would they let a woman play football? Oh, they couldn't tell the difference. She had a crew haircut. Well, that does Look, Dennis, you came over here to let me hear the song you're going to do on the program. Now, for heaven's sake, sing it. Oh, you're just mad because my mother was all-American. I am not mad. I am. I want my money. You know, I just want to hear this song. Go ahead, Dennis, will you? Let me... Somebody new 
be long before you leave me. that song, Dennis. It'll be fine on the program. Mr. Benny. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, oh, by the way, Professor LeBlanc, in case you haven't ordered your Christmas card yet... I do not want Christmas cards. I do not want diapers. I do not want my pants pressed. I'm hungry. I want mommy. Uh, hungry? Well... No more turkey hash. Mommy! <laughs> heaven's sake, Jack. Why don't you go down to your vault and get him his money? All right, Mary. Professor, uh, I'll go down to my vault and I'll get your money right now. You can wait right here for me. Yeah, I mustn't forget to listen to Don Amici on the new Lucky Strike program tomorrow. Mr. Benny, how are things on the outside? <laughs> very, very exciting, Ed, very exciting. We just had a presidential election, and Harry Truman was elected. He carried 34 states. Gee, 34 states. Who carried the other two? <laughs> no, 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 Ed, we have 48 now. You see, we took in Arizona, you know, and, um... Oh, what... What's the matter, Ed? You left the door open. The light's killing me. Oh. <laughs> oh, I'm... I'm sorry. Now, let's see. I... I just need a little money. Excuse me, Ed, while I work the combination on the safe. Shall I, uh... throw my eyelids together? <laughs> no. No, Ed. It, it isn't necessary, really, 
just turn around, that's all. Now, let's see. The, uh, the combination is right to 45, left to 60, back to 15, and left to 110. There. The alarm sound a little weaker than, uh... <laughs> it sound a little weaker than usual? Uh, I'll tell you in a minute. I'm counting the dead gophers. <laughs> oh. By the way, Mr. Benny, did you open your vault yesterday? No, no, Ed. That was an earthquake. <laughs> <laughs> now, let's see. What do I owe the professor... Two dollars for the lesson, less fifteen cents for insulting me. <laughs> that's a dollar eighty-five. There. Well, that takes care of that. So long, Ed. Goodbye, Mister Benny. Drop me a postcard now and then. I will. Well, here's your money, Professor. Oh, thank you, Mr. Benny. La, 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 la. Cheesy. French people are so emotional. Well, come on, Don. Would you and Mary like a cocktail before dinner? Oh, now, look, Jack, you don't have to go to all this trouble just for me. I... You apologized, and that's all that was necessary. Oh, Don, if Jack wants to invite you to dinner, you ought to stay. Certainly. We'll have three big steaks and all the trimmings. Well, thanks, Jack. After all, Don, last week I had a big argument with you, and it was my fault. You were right, and I was too stubborn to admit it. And, as Rudyard Kipling once said, you have suffered the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. So I intend to make it up to you. Jack. I intend to make it up to you. Jack. Huh? Kipling didn't say that. It was Shakespeare. No. No, Don. See, I was reading it just last night. And Kipling... Jack, I happen to be quite a student of Shakespeare, and I say you're wrong. Don. (laughs) Don. Little Lord Fackleroy. I say it was Kipling. And I say it was Shakespeare. Kipling. Shakespeare. Don, I can't understand you. I apologize to you for last week. I asked you to say to dinner. And you start another argument. But I didn't start an argument. I'm only telling you you're wrong. And you're too hard-headed to admit it. What? I'll thank you to leave my house and never darken my doorstep again. All right, I'll go. Goodbye. Goodbye. Hmm. 
I never saw a guy like Don Wilson always arguing, even when he's wrong. But he wasn't wrong, Jack. You were wrong. Shakespeare did say that, not Kipling. I say it was Kipling. Well, I'm not going to stay here and get the argument with you either. You're too stubborn. Goodbye. <laughs> How do you like that? For dinner, sir. Hmm, dinner, sir. What are we going to do with the other two steaks? I only cook one. What? The minute you said Kipling, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> oh. Well, I'll come as soon as I put my violin away. Boss? Well, what are you looking for? I'm looking for that book I was reading last night. That book of Kipling. The book you were reading last night? Well, that was Shakespeare. But on the cover, it said Kipling. That's the man you borrowed it from. Sam Kipling. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don, and now I'll have to apologize to Don Wilson again. Well, I'll give him a steak and he'll be happy. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, we wrap up the week with yours truly, Johnny Dollar, followed by the Red Skelton Show. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. Stay tuned for Ziggy and Stardust next on Zoomer Radio. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.